Hello, everyone. Yes, Chris Martinson of Peak Financial Investing with another episode here of Finance University. And today, very pleased to have Lawrence Lepard here of Equity Management Associates out of Boston. He's been to my farm once. Uh, Lawrence is a great guy, gold and silver investor, believes in Bitcoin, has his pulse really on all things financial in the markets out there. So we're going to have a really good rocking conversation today at a critical time because of all the popping and creaking sounds going on out there uh lawrence yeah so good to hey, see chris you thanks thanks for having me back it's always fun to chat with you i really i love your i love your thread i love your point of view so this should be fun good hey uh for the people who don't know you just quickly what's your background uh very quickly i've been a fund manager my whole life investment management um until 2008 i was focused on technology uh you know hardware software computers uh internet uh did pretty well with all that Kind of retired in 08, or retired actually in 04, messed around for a few years. And then in 08, the GFC hit. And I thought to myself, you know what? I got radicalized for sound money. I could see what they were doing. I could mm -hmm. see that the, the Fed was going to print away the value of the dollar. And um, and so I I pivoted and I got into the gold and gold stock picking business because I, I, I envisioned that we would have a decade that looked like the 70s with a lot of inflation. And in the 70s, gold and gold stocks and oil and oil stocks were the, the two things to invest in. So it was a little bit early in 08. Uh, it's taken a little while to play out, but uh, I, I haven't changed my view that, uh, you know, we have, uh, the world has become inflationary. We reached peak deflation, in my opinion, in March of 2020. And we now live in an inflationary world. And I think the average investor is not thinking that through. I agree. So uh, quick summary, um, tough times ahead, you think? I do. I do. I, I think that we are going to have more inflation. I can see that the rivets are popping, as I like to say, and you and I were discussing before the show. I mean, mm -hmm. we've got trouble in the financial system. And it's it's really quite simple, Chris. I mean, the problem is that you cannot expand the debt more rapidly than you expand the GDP. The GDP is what pays the interest on the debt. And if you're using debt to grow GDP and the GDP doesn't grow fast enough, Eventually, the gap gets too large. The only way to solve that is to print money massively. They did it in 08. They did it in 2020. They're trying to stop doing it now. Uh, they've kind of got the brakes on for a little while here. But they're going to be forced to do it again. And uh, there's a great chart on this in my quarterly report by Lynn Alden, which we can link the quarterly report to the show, and you can see it. But it's just a matter of time until, as I like to say, printer is coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you... Uh, Lawrence, if you want to pull it up at any time, I'll just put on screen sharing here. Uh, no big deal. Uh, yeah, give me give me a moment. It'll take me a, a minute here to find it. But, sure, sure, uh, sure. So, um, so so, uh, yes, you say it's it's only a matter of time before they print. But of course, printing creates inflation, which is just uh, broadly distributed theft, right? Correct. So the way I'm looking at this right now is when you have that situation where since the 70s, since 1971, maybe since August 15th, we've been doing this crazy thing where we've been expanding our debts at twice the rate compounded that our underlying income or GDP has been growing, blah, blah, blah. This is the only one question all investors, all individuals need to resolve. Who's going to eat the losses? Yes. Now, the bankers want to be sure it's not them, and they've been busy writing laws and working with their in-the-pocket representatives and Congress critters uh, to write laws that, that they think will shield them from having to take all the losses the government doesn't know what it's doing anymore. Just deeply incompetent. I'm I'm surprised. I mean, here, here's my my sense of the government can be fractalized down to the city council of San Francisco raising the shoplifting limit and then getting more shoplifting and being confused by the outcome. Right. Uh, that's how that's where I think we're at. So again, who's going to eat the losses? I think there are ways to avoid this, but you have to understand hard money. You have to understand that currency is not actually real money. You have to understand what real wealth is. That's um, correct. I mean, at the end of the day, energy is really money and, and, and goods and services are really money. I mean, we, money is a proxy for the things you want. You, money is useful because it can buy you food, it can buy you health care, it can buy you things that you need. Chris, if you actually go to allow me to do the screen share, I have been I, I'm able to locate that chart now. And we can show it. You it's been turned on. So go for it. Um, I'm looking for the screen share. I don't see on the recording that I've got a little green. It's the green one in the center there. I've got whiteboards, apps, notes, more, leave. Uh, I don't have, it's funny. I don't have screen shares. I, oh, oh, no. It, Stop it might be in the, 
it might be in the ellipse. It might have gotten pushed off, but it's a it's a great. I'm, I'm, I'm widening this up to see even more, so I'm trying to see it. Ah, uh, this is two old guys messing around with technology that they don't <laughs> understand. Oh, <laughs> uh, there right. it is. Share screen. I found it. Okay, thank there you. There it is. Much. Fantastic. Here we go. And uh, all right. Can you see that? Is that? Uh... I sure can. I sure can. So what you got here that I think is interesting is the blue line is the total debt in the society today in the U.S. and this is U.S. dollars and U.S. society, and the red the uh, the orange line is base money, and what you can mm -hmm. kind of see is that you know in the '71 we were on the gold standard so everything was kind of squared away, and then slowly but surely we've grown that debt and. Whenever the blue line gets too far away from the orange line, things break. And the first example of them breaking, you can see with my cursor here, is in 08. Obviously, things broke, and mm -hmm. you know we had to expand the base money massively. And then, of course, we tried to tighten and correct things, and and we we brought the base money back down into the 20 you know 2015, 16, 17 timeframe. But then, of course, we had the repo blowout, and then COVID, and then things broke again, and we expanded massively again. And mm -hmm. of course, as you can see, the blue line, the slope of the blue line is not slowing down. In fact, it's accelerating, mm -hmm. arguably. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just a matter of time. I mean, unless they want to have the entire economy crater in and have basically all of the banks fail. We can talk about that in a minute because there's some signs that that's what's next to happen, given what happened in March with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, they are going to have to expand the base money again. So this is why those of us in the hard money camp say you know, there aren't many things that are certain in the investment world, but one of the things that's extremely highly probable is that the government will have to debase the currency. And you asked the question earlier, who's going to pay? Well, I can, my bet is that the who is going to pay are the people who have dollars or savings in dollar terms, bondholders and cash holders. Um, they'll still have those same bonds. They'll still have that cash. The bonds will be money good. But guess what? It, they won't buy as much. Their purchasing power will be debased and debased severely. And, you know, as, as you and I recall, we're similar ages. I mean, when I was a high school teenager, I could buy gasoline for 25 cents a gallon. You know, now it's four or five in California, it's seven. And, you know, five years from now, it'll probably be 11 or 12 in California and eight or nine in Massachusetts. So, you mm -hmm. know, it, just this debasement continually is pushing inflation and prices up. And, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed to give investment advice. So this is not investment advice, but I will say just as a general rule, personally, what I try to do with my capital is find investments that protect it from this debasement. And silver and gold, yeah. and gold mining stocks are kind of the, my my first choice. So, yeah. Yeah. So so what I love about this chart and for everybody watching right now um, and for people who are just listening, because I know some of you just listen, we're looking at a chart here. It's got two lines on it. One's on the left-hand scale. One's on the right-hand scale. The left-hand scale is total debt. You've heard me talk about this before. Wonkishly, it's TCMDO in the Fed series. This is total credit market debt. It's all debt. State, federal, local, muni, corporate, all that. It's not unfunded liabilities. Okay? That's a whole different oh, yeah. subject. Right? <laughs> Let's. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's even worse. worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But... Um, you know, the debt is now well over 90 trillion. That's what the left axis is. That's what 90,000 billion represents on that axis. So over 90 trillion. The right axis is um, showing base money supply. So that's hanging out. I'm going to guess 5.5 trillion. So mm. there's a big gap between those two, obviously, because they're on very different scales. But when people say, oh, the, you know, the U.S. debt's at 120 percent of GDP, what they're talking about is official public debt. They're not talking about total debt indebtedness of the country, which is hanging out at close to 400 percent of GDP, um, right. which is the total debt of the nation. So. So, yes, we have to I, I I like to keep that in frame. And by the way, Lawrence, um, one of the things that drives me nuts is that we present GDP without backing out the debt, because yeah. that's just a, that's just a fiction. Right. So let's say you're an economy and I'm an economy. You're you're on island A. I'm on island B. You're earning 100,000. I'm earning 100,000. Somebody takes a snapshot and says. 100,000. They have two GDPs that are equivalent. You're um, careful. And in fact, you save your money. And, and, and so, you know, nothing happens. You have 0% GDP growth. Bad boy, right? But I went on a spree, leveraged up my island, bought a boat, you know, had a party <laughs> yeah. and, and and spent 100 grand on, on consumption using debt. And they would take that same snapshot and say, Lawrence grew his 0%. Boo. Chris grew his by 100%. Yay. <laughs> 
right, right, <laughs> obviously right. it's right. dumb when you when you put it that way but that's exactly the situation we're in and the you know the u.s government is deficit spending what six seven percent of gdp right it's just completely eight, close to un- close to eight and that's and that's with a healthy economy and we've never done oh. that before i mean to have this large a deficit other than in world war ii which was kind of an exceptional case yeah. um to have this large a deficit with the economy at this level of full employment it's unheard of and um you know what what i would say that i think is important for people to understand is that the us is the world's reserve currency and the biggest country and therefore we've enjoyed a number of advantages we're able to export our inflation and other things mm-hmm. but i would say that it's important to understand that we are starting to look and behave like a third world country you know in in a lot of ways i mean in in terms of you know government misfunction malfunction um, you know all the all the things that have broken and gone wrong that, that you point to so so clearly on your on your thread and in your show and and you know the financial side it's it's very clear and a lot of people I think are wrongly assuming that well this is the United States you won World War II you've got the world reserve currency this thing could never fail it just could never and yet if you look at all of the factors that we see taking place you know enormous and growing mm-hmm. deficits um, a huge gap in in wealth inequality. Um, these are these are all third world country kind of issues. And generally speaking, I mean, Reinhoff and Rogart did a book on it that showed that when, when countries get to the point where debt is over 100 percent of GDP and we're close to 130 right now, there really is no way out. You are kind of in a debt trap. And as a result of that, we either need to do a currency reset, which is unlikely because nobody even understands the issue, or you're going to have massive inflation, arguably potentially hyperinflation. But you could get out through massive inflation over a bunch of years until until things kind of return to normal. But um, there's there's really no way out. And so so I think one of the mistakes that a lot of investors, a lot of people are making, and and it's rather sad because everyone's complaining about the inflation, and now we're somewhat happy that it's kind of come off the boil, and it has a little bit in certain areas. I mean, certainly in in rental properties, it's come down a bit. But um, I'm not sure the food inflation is as low as they say it is. But the point is that it's going to inflation is going to continue to flare up again and again and again because of the underlying issue that this chart lays out which is they are going to continue to increase the monetary supply they have to if they do not the economy will collapse yep all right can you turn the screen share off then um yep, I'll turn that on. Off. yep. okay yeah all right so um yeah th- this is this is the big setup now um and of course, we we get back to who's going to eat the losses, and and you know how the system would like to roll, right? They would like to create. Well, the Fed tells us straight up, we're going to create two percent inflation, which means we're going to steal half your money every thirty five years using the rule of seventy two, right? And they just tell you flat out, and people are like, "Oh, that's very nice. Thank you for managing that." May yeah. I have another, sir? You know, yeah. what is this? A hazing ritual, right? Um, it's just awful. Uh, but now they've said, well, we might float the target to 3%. Right. We'll just steal 3% of your, of your wealth every year. Um, and of course, three to seven, that means every 20 years, they're going to take half my money. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's, can you imagine if the government said we have a taxation program, we're going to take half of everything you've earned every 20 years, we'll take half in addition to all the other stuff we're going to take. Right. It's just, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, the, the the Patriots had a revolution over, you know, a fraction of this in terms of taxes. And, and as you know, as, as I'm sure you're aware, Chris, and many of your listeners are too, the two and three are fake numbers. I mean, they're saying we're at three, but if you go to shadow government statistics or you go to Chapwood, I mean, everyone knows that the actual inflation that we are all experiencing is much higher than the reported inflation. So so it's yeah. it's really actually quite worse. And, and that's, I think, what's leading to the dissatisfaction throughout this country. I mean, you know, I, I think poll don't polls show that like 80 or 90 percent of the country believe we're on the wrong path and that things yeah. are getting worse. I mean, this is we are we are deep into the fourth turning right now, as as, mm-hmm. as you and I both know. Yeah. So let's um, you know, I, I like to to well, I track the signpost because I like to know beforehand is something yeah. going to break here. Yeah. Um, but uh, let, let me go back to anecdotes. I, I put out I put out alerts very rarely for my subscribers. Right. And alert. I define as a piece of news that causes me to, to do something right. right. Uh, you know, if I, if I saw like, you know, mortgage insurance companies cratering, like I did no eight, I ran down to the bank and got cash. So, so that was an alert right. for me. Um, but I had to put out a soft alert the other day, Lawrence, because something was just wrong. Like it's just wrong. 
and I'm polling all these people I know from all different sectors. You know, I got on extensive long phone calls and I have a, a pretty deep Rolodex of connections. So I talk to people all the time and, and they're all we're all sharing the same feeling like yeah. something's wrong. And finally, I was able to coalesce it down to this one question I could ask. Have you been waking up mysteriously with a sense of dread at three o'clock or three thirty? Right. And yeah. about about half three. the people I talk to, three. their eyes widen up. They're like, how did you know? Right. How did you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I call it rivets popping and, you know, a big rivet popped in September or in March when Silicon Valley Bank failed. But, you know, since then, I mean, we've had, you know, we've had a terrible 30 year bond auction. We've had the Japanese have had to, you know, lighten the, the band on their 10 year you know, bond. We've had, you know, the ICIB, ICBCI bank was, uh, you know, running around with a computer stick to to participate in a government auction. I mean, there've been all kinds of little signals. There have been all kinds of little signals that, you know, yeah. something's not right. Um, and and it, and that's kind of how it feels to me anyway, that in, in the financial world, something's not right. I mean, the stock market has been rather eerily hanging in there on almost no volume. Um, so, you know, that kind of feels a little bit rigged to me. And um, well, you'll, maybe um, you'll know this. So, so, uh, in the last week, last I mean, it was about two weeks ago. So all of a sudden, you know, the, the stock market is is just starting to do its power higher thing, right? Yeah, but in yeah. the week right before that, I watched the VIX get slammed by close yeah. to 30%. Exactly. Right? Just smash, just smashing the VIX. And this is a little wonkish for people listening, but the VIX is a derivative, right? It's supposed to track the volatility of the market and it trades as a literal derivative on the CME. You can sell puts on it. You can smash yep. it. There's futures. So somebody smashed the heck out of it, but they only got about an 8% climb in stocks, right? Right. That to me was a popping rivet because normally it's a little more, there's a more proportionality, right? Yes, yes. And and I watched them, Lawrence, leaning on this. The market would be going down and they'd be smashing the VIX, just yeah. monkey hammering yeah. it to get it to go well, they, the other way. You know, I mean, some of your listeners know this, some probably don't. I mean, they've got a 286 billion dollar exchange stabilization fund at the new york fed that mm -hmm. can basically trade and manipulate markets and you know and, and they've admitted this i mean at the at the bottom in oh oh eight when the market was literally falling apart you know they just got in there and started buying the futures in size and just said this is it we're not letting it go any any further and they they yep. do this they do this at key points in time because you know frankly i mean there's several things i mean the, to me the, the, the level and health of the stock market, the bond market, and the price of gold are as important as the nuclear codes, I mean, to the exactly. federal government. I mean, they, these, mm -hmm. these people know that having a, I mean, they, they've studied the Great Depression. They know what happened. They saw how things cascaded into a, you know, into a spiral downward. And, you know, and, and even in, I mean, it started in 87, Greenspan, and I was trading that. I was short in 87 when that went over the cliff, and I made some money that day. But you know, and Greenspan came out and he, he established, you know, the president's working group on financial markets, otherwise known as the plunge protection team. And then they set up the exchange stabilization fund and they funded that with billions of dollars. And they set up accounts in the Cayman Islands. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure the Pentagon is to some degree involved in all of this. And that, you know, the, the, the powers that be know that they need functioning, safe, non-scary financial markets. And so they intervene when they see the opposite of that. Um, that that's just a fact. And so that's part of what we're playing against. But what, what we, you know, the advantage we have is we know that they've got a losing hand and we know they've got to continue to print. So the way to, the way to front run them and to, you know, to trade against them and to make a winning bet is to be in sound money things, because there's just nothing more certain than the fact that they're going to try and print their way out of this. That's, that's how I see it. You know, of course, of course they'll have to. And, you know, I get into these things all the time. People are like, Oh, well, you know, the fed, you know, what, what are you suggesting? I'm like, what am I suggesting? I'm suggesting someday we'll see a hundred trillion dollar Fed balance sheet. Someday oh, absolutely. We'll a, a absolutely. quadrillion dollar balance sheet. It, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, the, I mean, I think we've got three or four more cycles in it, but there's no question. The next print, I mean, as you'll recall, the 08 print led to kind of, I think we were under 800 billion in, in Fed sheet balance sheet pre, uh, you know, Lehman failure. We came out of that and we, over time, ramped up to three something. You know, and then they mm -hmm. started to take that down just a little bit. That didn't work. Powell had to pivot, and uh, then COVID hit. You know, the 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 fake the fake uh, the fake virus, and uh, boom. Mm -hmm. You know, we're at nine trillion, and now that's come down a bit. You know, we're down close to eight. It's a Fed balance sheet size I'm talking about now, and now we're back down closer to eight. But okay, fine. But 
The next one's going to be a 22. You know, it's going to be, and, and, and by the way, these are just the stated numbers after the, the, the damage cleared. I mean, you know, there was some great uh, FOIA requests that figured out how much money they, when, when one of these events occurs, the amount of money they put into the system, it's mind boggling. I mean, in the 08 case, they grew the balance sheet by three or four trillion. At one point, I think they had 15 or 20 trillion dollars in swap lines out to the entire world. I mean, they just they made it extremely clear. We are not going to let anybody go bankrupt. We are going to give you all the money you need until the herd calms down. Because I mean, and, and that's really what they can't have. These all these events are like the herd is panicking. You know, the herd, the herd sees a rattlesnake or the herd, herd sees a mountain lion. It's about to pick them off. And so the herd just runs like hell and says, get me out of these securities. And, you know, the Fed, the, the response of the Fed is, no, 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 calm down, guys. We got this. We got this. And they do. But the cost of having it is they're going to print a shitload of money, which makes every unit of the money worth less. Yeah. And and so, I mean, just editorially, because I can't resist here, the whole idea is like, look, um, we had the Greenspan put right 1987. He bails that out. We had this corporate bond market hiccup in 94, bailed that right. out, implemented the sweeps program, which effectively removed reserve requirements from 10 to right. zero. Then we had the 1998 long-term capital management bailout. Yep. And then we yep. had the 2001 bailout. And that led yep. to the blowout money printing, which gave us the housing crisis, which gave us the great financial crisis. Yep. And people aren't generally aware of this, but we had another crisis in 2011, 13, 17, 19. This is just managing crises. Yep, and absolutely. nowhere along the way did anybody bother to go, maybe we shouldn't have too big to fail banks. Maybe the path is we yeah. should fracture this and we should have lots and lots of little distributed, non de you know, decentralized, you know, points so that if any one of them fails, the whole mesh doesn't get taken down. But instead, they've exactly. been going the other way. Correct. And then they use the concentration as justification for a bigger bailout, which gives us more concentration, which would be a bigger bailout. Right. And, and, well, and, and they keep kicking the can up. I mean, you know, originally we were at the dot-com level. Okay, technology is a big piece of the economy, but it's not the whole economy. Then we're at the housing level. Okay, well, that's a little bit bigger piece of the economy. Everybody's got a house, right? And the yeah. banks are pretty big. Now we're at the everything bubble, right? We're at the sovereign credit debt level. And it's not like, you know, we're going to have Martians come down and save us here. I mean, they're, right. you know, they're, they're, they're playing, they're, you know, it's a Doisex machine. I mean, they're, they're playing for all the marbles with the underlying value of the currency, and, you know, because they're pretty good at it, because they've got all the levers and because, you know, they can push and shove them back and forth. You know, my sense is we probably have a couple more swings here. I mean, I, I, I believe that ultimately this will resolve with either a reset or hyperinflation. I tend to lean towards hyperinflation, but I also believe we've probably got a couple more swings back and forth throughout the process. And that kind of total currency failure doesn't occur until the 2028, 2030-ish time frame. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite sure on the next leg up that gold will go through three or 4,000 and gold stocks will take, take flight. You know, I'm quite sure on the next leg up that, you know, inflation will get hot again, probably hotter than it was in this last cycle. Um, mm -hmm. you know, gasoline prices will be higher and, and, and sadly, you know, people put up with it. Um, you know, we should be marching on the fed, but most people don't even understand that that's the core of the issue, which is unfortunate. You know, um, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I actually am. Um, <laughs> well, well, most of them have been proven true. So it's actually kind of a compliment. Somebody called me that the other day and I, I viewed it as a compliment. Um, and, uh, and, and so, um, uh, you know, I don't want to see a, a bug behind every, every corner here, but, um, let, let's talk about gold real quickly here because, because sure. I, I'm convinced like you are that the markets are important signaling devices. Of course, they're also the devices by which the power elites and the insiders ring the cash register on a daily yes. basis, right? And I think they've done this with almost all commodity markets. Remember, so I'm the I'm like you're, you're probably one of only three people in the world who will be similarly outraged, right? But to me, there was this 2015 Reuters article that said, "Oh, you know, the New York Fed was scared by Superstorm Sandy, so they moved their trading desk, which is the most powerful trading desk in the world, to." Aurora, Illinois. I'm like, that's weird because that's where the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is located. <laughs> Isn't that a fun of all the places? Wow, what you... a surprise. Yeah. Hmm. And then it was just the next year that the Chicago Mercantile Exchange uh, announced their central bank preferred buyer program because they're such heavy consumers of CME products that they get special pricing. I'm like, why would central banks need futures and, um, you know, and options on <laughs> On things like Gee, metals, grains, <laughs> oil, gold, yeah. uh, stocks, bonds. Like, like it's just, what? 
You know, and nobody will admit I've I've been to every central bank balance sheet because I'm a wonk. I look around. You can't find a single one of them that admits they have any stock futures or commodity futures or play in those markets at all. But they do. Of course right? they do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the exchange stabilization fund keeps growing. I mean, what for? If they're not using it, then why does it grow? I mean, you can Google it and find it. There's, you know, they have reports on it. They just don't tell you what they do. And and that's why Ron Paul and others were so adamant about auditing the Fed. I mean, what we yep. really we really want to see, you know, what these guys are doing. Yeah, this is great. This 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 goes to what I was speaking about earlier. Uh, I guess pre our pre recording here, gold. You know, what, what's interesting to me is that you know look at this, the firepower. Look at the right. they they clearly have a point of view. Which, I mean, this is a beautiful cup and handle from a charting Absolutely. standpoint, but they are expending. Yeah all kinds of firepower to keep this under 2000 that seems like a real line in the sand to me anyway it is um, it is and when it goes when it goes through that as you know with algos and the way people chase all-time new highs gold's going to squirt through 2100 it's going to be at 3000 before before we blink and um mm -hmm. and that's going to be you know really meaningful for both investors in gold also investors in silver also investors in the mining companies which have just been beat to shit i don't know if you have the ability on that chart chris to overlay something like the Huey or the GDX. I don't on GDX this one, but GDX goes doesn't go back far enough. But but the point yeah. is that if you did, there's a line, you know, the 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 GDX is trading, I mean, same scale. The the GDX is trading at a level close to where it was in 08. So the gold stocks have really not participated in the run mm. of the metal. And and people might say, well, how can this be? I mean, I find this chart incredibly informative in another way too. And this gets a little wonky, but it's important. You know, we took interest rates from point to from zero effectively to 5.25% in terms of the Fed funds rate. So that's mm -hmm. a really meaningful increase in the real rate of interest. Of course, it still isn't positive because inflation's understated. But the point is in the past when that has happened, if you if I could show a chart, I don't have one easily accessible, but gold and real interest rates are very highly correlated. When real interest rates yep. get higher. Gold goes down. You know that's how Volcker broke the back of gold in in 1980. And what's but 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 that's not what has happened this time. You know, real interest rates have gone up quite a bit as a result of this fundraising or this interest rate you know increasing campaign. And yet gold has hung in there. And I think the reason that has occurred is that because gold smells the printer. Gold knows mm -hmm. what's coming. Gold gold knows that mathematically these people are trapped. And that they will yeah. have to print more money to keep the system going. And, you know, right now, I mean, you know, all the Wall Street cheerleaders are saying the stock market's fine. And I mean, I find it amazing. I go on Bloomberg and you'll find this interesting. The five-year out, the consensus five-year out forecast for the price of gold is $1,750 an ounce. It's trading right around $2,000 now. So, the, so yeah. the consensus Wall Street forecast is that gold is going to decrease in price in the next five years. I mean, in my view, the odds of that are zero. Absolutely mm -hmm. zero. I mean, in five years, gold could be at fifteen thousand. It could be at ten. It, it'll easily be at four, and you know it, maybe it's only at three. But I, I doubt. I highly doubt that. I think it'll continue to to trend upward because I think they'll continue to print money. And you know, gold is a is it's the ancient form of money that governments cannot print, and so which is why uh, they hate it, of course. Of course, it's, right? They they do hate it, but um, so so. I, four most dangerous words this time is different, but can we talk about what's different now? So a lot of people look back, oh, here's what it did in the 70s and here's where it was in yeah. 08, all that. But if we go on a look forward basis, two big things to me. First, moving from a unipolar to a multipolar world, China clearly has a stake in the game. The United States has just lost an extraordinary amount of what little remaining integrity and, and reputation it had. Um, you know, we got the combined warehouses of NATO got spanked by a Russian military budget that is one-tenth the size of just the U.S. military budget alone, I know. right? I they know. showed that that's $50,000 drones can take out $5 million pieces of hardware, M777 howitzers, Bradleys, you know, all of it, right? So, so that's a, that's a game-changer right there. Yeah. China's busy making diplomatic inroads. They got Saudi Arabia and Iran to shake hands and reopen diplomatic arrangements, yeah. you know, Sh yeah. Shia and Sunnis, weird, you know, but they did it, right? So I'm watching all of this unfold. And then the second big piece that relates to that to me very tightly is that we have an administration here in the US that is exceedingly hostile to energy, in particular oil. And yeah. it's canceled leases, it's drained the SPR, which I consider an act of national vandalism at best. 
terrorism yeah. at worst. I agree. Right? Um, those are that's done by somebody who hates this country and wants to see it suffer. Right. Um, is how I look at that because it's that serious. And meanwhile, if you just look at where even J.P. Morgan's commodity desk, Lawrence, a month ago came out and said, there's a persistent shortfall in oil that we can't do anything about that starts in 2026 and just stretches as far as the eye can see. And they predicted a 7 million barrel per day shortfall by 2030. As we know, there's no such thing as a 7 million barrel a day shortfall in oil. There's only one of two things, a sky high price to settle out the demand or a war to fight over it. Those are your options. That's so, right. So- yeah, I'm looking at all this going, these are new overlays we have to factor in where, yeah, it, those are different Those are different features that haven't been here prior. I think they're important. What do you think? I think they're very important. I think the other, you, you kind of touched upon this, but, and this was incorporated in the JP Morgan report, which I read as well. The, the you know, we really, we got lucky in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, um, you know, shale oil was was really kind of an amazing gift you know, um, and fracking. I mean, we found a bunch of oil really cheap and, you know, cost of capital was very low. So the, the CapEx didn't cost much, you know, borrow almost zero. And we we suddenly became a, a, a larger oil producer than we ever were or than we'd been for quite some time. And uh, and that was a gift. But if you if you go to like, you know, Rosenzweig and Gehring are probably the, the premier guys that do the analysis of the shale oil fields, what you see mm-hmm. is that they peaked and they're starting to roll over. And the cheap shale is not there anymore. And even the expensive shale is declining. And, you know, I mean, will we be able to get more oil with that 7 billion barrel gap get filled? Of course it will, but not at today's price, not at $70. I mean, we're going to need 150 or 200. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you kind of imagine where we are in gasoline prices today at kind of $70, $80 oil, double those oil prices, double the gas prices. It's not quite linear, but it's, but it's you know, directionally, it's very similar. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big, big deal and you know the world runs on energy and to the degree that uh we are in a tighter energy environment i mean again chris this is also driven by just the whole fact that you know with all the financialization all the bubbly stuff that we had going on from 2008 to 2022 and i i, I marked the peak as december of 2021 okay so mm-hmm. uh, that's what i think that everything bubbled started to burst you know, all the money and all the capital was going into the Magnificent Seven and the Fangs and, you know, tech stocks and and basically the, the NASDAQ. And if you go and you look at the same time frame and you look at CapEx that's been spent on, you know, increasing the production of stuff, the things that make the world run or the things that we eat, you know, like, you know, farm things, um, the CapEx there has been just completely starved, completely starved for, for 10 or 15 years. And so, so that's why I, earlier in this call in this uh, presentation, I I said I really do believe we hit peak deflation in March of 2020. It doesn't get solved easily. We need to expand our capacity in everything that's real, that's physical, that's commodity oriented. And another chart that um, I can't easily access and pull it up either. Uh, maybe I'll see if I have my report, but but it's easy to access for anyone who wants to Google it. Just Google, you know, the S and P 500 as compared to um, commodities and commodities. Oh just, yeah. You know, yeah, you, know what, you know, the one I'm talking about. I mean, Oh yeah. 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 I just, I actually showed it to my subscribers. I don't know. Yesterday. I think, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's all over the place, but, but the bottom yeah. line, what you can see is that we've really underinvested in commodities on, you know, commodities are silly cheap and the S and P on a relative basis is silly expensive. And you know, that, that will reverse just like all trends are, are you know, in, in financial assets tend to be mean reverting. And we're at very, very large extremes. I mean, gold, ironically, gold's at $2,000. It's near an all-time nominal high. But compared to the money supply, it's actually near an all-time, it's near an all-time low. Um, you know, I, I've, I've said in the past, and I, 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 I love this math. In 71, you could take the money base and divide it by the 261 million ounces the U.S. holds, and you come up with a $35 reference price from Bretton Woods. Okay, if you did that same math today, took the monetary base divided by the two sixty one, price of gold would have to be eighty thousand dollars an ounce, eighty thousand dollars an ounce to balance the two. It's at and, and, and that's assuming we have the two hundred sixty one million. Well, ounces. that's that's a whole. Different, <laughs> you're right. But like me, like us non conspiracy theorists, it's probably quite likely that that has been looted or in some way pledged or encumbered. Uh, although, who knows? It could be there. We don't know. Um, it, it does strike me as very odd. I mean, the, the one of the reasons why I feel pretty strongly you're right about that 
is that we've been asking for an audit. Many people have asked for an audit since the 50s. And you know what their excuse is? It would be too expensive to audit it. Now, we spent $6 trillion <laughs> wasting you know, lives and treasure in the Middle East. And how much would it really cost to audit 261 million ounces. I mean, it's got to be in the, it's got to be less than $10 million, right? $10 million. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's a joke, but they're not going to audit it. I mean, just trust us, it's there. So, yeah. um, but it's yeah, like, another national security issue, right? So, so you'll love this. Maybe you can answer this. I, this is my stumper. If I ever want to stump somebody, guaranteed bar bet, I win this. Um, I can show you that on the Exchange Stabilization Fund, which is a treasury uh, balance sheet, I show you that they will list those 261 million ounces of gold as an asset on their balance sheet. There they're 47 listed. bucks, yeah. Yeah, $11 billion, but at $47 an ounce, there they are. Yep. I can also show you that the New York Fed has those same 261 million on its balance sheet. I'm no accountant, but I'm kind of wondering how two separate organizations, which are not commingled, by the way, the Federal Reserve is not a government entity, everybody. Yeah. It's a private bank. They have the gold listed on their asset side of their balance sheet. The U.S. government has it listed as an asset on their side. This is the kind of stuff Enron went to jail for, but I can't resolve. Like, this should be a simple question. Who actually owns that gold? Me or the Fed? And as far as I can tell, in public records, both claim ownership. That's correct. And I've, I've had the exact same concern. And it, and it just goes to show you all the funny the funny business these guys have done. I mean... It, it it really is you. I mean, it, it was it was the government's gold. It is the Treasury's gold. But in theory, I, I think they've either lent it or somehow they let the Fed put it on their sheet. I don't understand that either. I mean, look at the whole Fed balance sheet. There's another thing. I mean, you know, or the Fed losses. I mean, the Fed is losing an enormous amount of money and they're putting it up as a deferred asset, which is a joke. And, you know, and, and if they were to mark their if they were marked their balance sheet to market because they've got all these underwater bonds. I've heard, you know, some guys have estimated they'd have to take a $1.5 trillion impairment on their balance sheet. But again, you know, when you own the printer, you can make the rules. I mean, this is this is Meyer Rothschild, right? You know, give me control of the monetary system and I don't care who makes the laws. Because right. yeah. having the money basically allows you, if you've got more money than anybody else, you can rig the game in your favor. And that's what they've done. Yeah, well, uh, so so let's talk about the positive side of all this, because, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, I I just wrote this about silver. So I did a deep dive on silver. Right. So silver yeah. is the same price today that it was 10 years ago. Actually, it's 30 cents less per ounce. Right. So um, it's gone nowhere. Right. The cost of mining has gone through the roof because inflation has been high, but particularly yes. in mining where they're heavily dependent on things like steel and oil. Yeah. It's been much higher than average. Right. Yeah. Um, as well, we have depleting ore bodies, so it, there's you have to get more stuff yeah. out of the ground. So there's more effort per unit to to extract, um, et cetera. So against all of that, like we have as well over those same ten years, Lawrence, six of those years have been in structural deficit. The last two has been 240 and 116 million ounce shortfalls in each of those years. So name me another commodity where it's been in structural shortfall six years in a row, mine output is falling and the price is lower. Yeah, well, there isn't one. And again, that, it goes to manipulation. And, and I, I know how that structural deficit is getting solved because I go down to my local coin dealer every now and then to buy some coins or you know, just check in yeah. with them. And I, and I see the tea sets from the poor, older people that live in the New England region that basically are down to their last you know X number of pounds of silver and they take them in and my coin dealer weighs them and you know he's going to send them out to get melted down i mean that's that's part of how they're solving it yeah no there there is i mean in my view right now there is no asset on the planet that is cheaper than silver i mean it's just it's insane mm -hmm. how cheap it is i mean it hasn't even you know it, it hasn't even gone on to a new all-time high i mean or even close to it i mean the all-time highs were 50 you know when the hunt brothers tried to corner it in the 70s and then there was another 50 you know, back in 2011, and it's 26 now, or four, uh, five, I guess, roughly. Mm -hmm. So, yep. you know, it, it's, and, and the underlying demand for it's growing, Chris, I mean, you need it, if we're going to go to EVs, you need it. And if we're going to do solar, you need it. And I've seen estimates that, you know, right now, solar consumes about 15% of the, of the silver that we, uh, that we dig out every mm -hmm. year. I've seen estimates that in as little as five years, half of the demand will be for solar, half of, half of annual silver demand will be, and as you say, silver supply is not growing it's actually shrinking and that goes to my earlier comment about how we've underinvested capex 
in people in things that make stuff. And that's why, you know, if I were advising, uh, you know, somebody young coming coming into the workforce today, I would say, go away from financialization, go away from technology, go away from all this sizzle stuff and figure out how to get into industries and businesses that make real stuff. Because I think stuff is going to do extremely well in the next five or 10 years. And if you can if you can produce more stuff cheaply, that's going to be that's going to be a very important quality um, in business. Completely agree. Absolutely. So, um, you know, in in particular, when we look at that the solar demand. Uh, and listen, we might you know something might come along to disrupt that. Maybe we'll get thorium reactors or something. Or we'll go back to nuclear or something. We won't need as much solar, whatever. <clears throat> but the trends right now are 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 as fundamentally bullish as they can possibly be. And I think this creates an opportunity because because it used to be that that there were producers and consumers, right, for wheat, corn, oil, silver, all that. And then the futures market came along and said, wouldn't it be good for a farmer to be able to sell off their September harvest, but it's January? That way they have secured cash flow. The consumer side, the big you know grain mills or whatever, they know what price they're getting. Everybody's happy, right? So it was good. But then that was the the signal in the system. And then speculators came on. They provided liquidity, right? right. Greenspan really enabled this and because he, he was all about the liquidity and he was just, he was a mumbling fool. But this whole thing started to take off. And now, Lawrence, I look into these markets, particularly commodity markets, and I see that it's almost all noise, no signal. It's it's 99% speculators doing what they do, right? right. You know, trade in paper silver, paper gold, paper oil, right? Oh, yeah. Um, those same signals we used to see that I still see in the silver market where it's like, oh, this bid crushing, you know, sell order comes in, just smashes through the bid structure. Right. And just right. crushes the price. I watched that happen in oil multiple times this year. And I'm like, oil, that's a big market. But somebody would come in with an urgent need to sell two million barrels in a one minute tick, you know, and I'd be like, that's not price discovery. That's price manipulation. manipulation. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then there's and there's a ton of that, and I mean, it, you know, look in the silver and the and the gold market, you know, I, I it's 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 a big game of musical chairs, right? I, I believe that there's somewhere between 100 and 1,000 claims on every ounce of gold that there is in the world that are in paper, and so you know, it, it, what do I mean by that? I mean, I, I don't think GLD has the gold they claim they have, and I think if everybody who owned a share of GLD said, you know, I, I want to trade my shares in and give me my fractional amount in gold. You know, the price of gold would go up multiples, a factor of 10 or more overnight. Um, and the reason for that is just that the gold doesn't exist. And so when the music stops, you know, it's this is where possession will be nine tenths of the law. You know, somebody I mean, you might you might have somebody who says, I sell you I, I sold you a contract to deliver gold at X, Y, Z price at a future date. The problem is that that party that sold it to you might be Lehman Brothers. And mm. so when gold suddenly does a moonshot, which I think it, it easily could do on a reset on a monetary reset, then, um, you know, Lehman's not going to have the gold to deliver. And they're going to say, oh, sorry, we'll cash settle. And I mean, and you've seen some of this, Chris. I mean, somebody got squeezed in the nickel trade, right? Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's all that was. It was paper nickel. And somebody said, hey, give me the goddamn metal. And you know what they did? They changed the rules. They screwed the guy. You know, yeah. and, and, and they do that kind of constantly. I mean, they really do. But, but at some point in time, you, you know, they changed the rules. But what happens when you change the rules and the other party has nuclear weapons like it's China or it's mm. Russia? And oh, in the case of Russia, you just stole six hundred billion dollars of their assets. And, and that's why you see these other countries and central banks hoarding and grabbing gold and going after real assets because they know that the U.S. is not trustworthy. And that's why you see them trading with one another in their own currencies not using the dollar you know i mean you see india you see you know the the, the arab emirates etc these are all all these countries are now accepting yuan and rubles for you know for goods and commerce and the dollar is getting shoved out and 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 that's all because the united states government has behaved so irresponsibly and we're you know we're not in a hot war we're not in a world war three hot war but we mm -hmm. are in a yeah. world war three currency war very much like what Jim Rickards has said. There is a currency war taking place right here, right now. And America has been living beyond its means as a result of having the reserve currency. And that privilege is being taken away as we speak. And so Americans who save their wealth in dollars need to 
think hard about whether that's the right thing to be doing. That, you know, mm. if they should have that dollar as their savings unit or the savings unit should be something that can't be printed. Yeah, I think if if you, a um, couple of sayings. One is if you've been at the card table 30 minutes, you don't know who the sucker is, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, the second I would say is sort of a related is if you think you're in a game of musical chairs, the only sane thing to do is grab a chair early. Um, exactly. You know, that's exactly right. And and it's hard because, you know, it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, gold bugs have been saying, hey, this thing's going to reset for years. And, you know, I look stupid and I've been wrong. It has gone up. I mean, I got when I got involved, gold, you know, back in the you know earlier days, it was at 250, you know, in 2000 when I started buying gold. And it's at 1900. It's it's gone up at about 8% a year. It should have gone up much more aggressively than that. But the suppression mm-hmm. has, has held it back. But, you know, it, it's... To me, it's one of those long-term macro trends that's easy to observe, sometimes tough to ride the ups and downs, but the underlying trend is solidly up. And I think, I think we're kind of getting closer to the end of the road because, you know, the contractions are coming more often and they're getting larger, right? Yep. I mean, we had we had a contraction in 08. They calmed it down. Okay, fine. We were good for another. Well, I guess 16, 70, as you point out, there were some things in the middle teens that, that were bad. But I guess I think the repo blowout was the first real sign that, oh, there's a problem here. And that was 18, mm-hmm. 2018. You know, and then, of course, COVID came along and bang, they had another excuse and off they went. Um, and there will be another one. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if it'll be World War Three. I don't know. I don't know what it'll be, but there will be another one. They will find another excuse. There will be a reason to print. Um, one thing that could have could be that I'm watching pretty carefully and I. I don't think the world has really focused on it enough is the regional banking system in the United States. I mean, it started the whole banking system in the United States really kind of broke in March of last year. And, you know, they changed. First of all, they violated the law. Dodd-Frank, black letter law. If a bank fails, the depositors are going to take a hit. Oops. Unless, of course, the bank has Bill Ackman as a friend who can cry on TV and has a bunch of wealthy VC, VC clients. Oh, and it might represent contagion. In that case, we're going to change the law again, and we're going to bail them out. And so if you look at the regional banks today, I mean, there's $600 billion in balance sheet losses. I've seen estimates that would suggest that half of the regional banks in the United States today have negative equity. Now, there's $17 trillion of bank deposits in the regional, in the banking system in the United States today. And the FDIC has a couple hundred billion under management. That's the insurance fund that will pay you if your balance is less than 250. So- if the banks started to fail en masse, the Fed would have to fill part of a $17 trillion hole. And that's how you get to a Fed balance sheet north of $20 million very easily. And of course, when Silicon Valley Bank was failing, I mean, Janet was even kind of waffling around. Well, we, maybe we will guarantee the deposits. Maybe we won't. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. They were obviously scared about it. And, you know, if, if, you, if you're following commercial real estate now, and it's easy to do, there's some good guys on Twitter of a lot of commercial real estate stuff. One guy's called Triple Net. Um, you know, you're seeing 80 and $90 million buildings selling for $20 million. Well, that's a big really? loss. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll forward them to you, Chris. That's okay, a thanks. lot of money. That's a lot of money going to money heaven. You know, and and that, so if you if you, if you you got a $90 million building and the and the builder, the, the real estate developer put in 20, borrowed 70, and the building's now worth 20, well, guess what? And the, so, the, you know, the investor walked away and so, you know, the, the 70 million that was loaned against it, they're getting 20 back against that. I mean, that that's a direct hit to that bank's balance, whoever made that loan's balance balance sheet. Yep. That's going on all over the country. So there's a real there's a real lurking regional banking crisis that the Fed is at some point going to have to figure out a way to deal with. Yeah. Because um, they can't yeah, have was, the banking, I... they can't have the they can't have half the banking system fail. They just can't, right? No, but maybe this is part of the whole consolidation thing, right? So, so yeah, you know, signature and Silicon Valley break, right? And what happens? J.P. Morgan picks one of them up, and first For sure. picks up the other, right? For you sure. Know, so the big ones get bigger, right? Oh, but I was trying to pull up a chart which I show, which I consider it monetary vandalism, right? Where those was those eight year stretch of zero percent interest rates that that forced the banks who have reserves yes. to get into like Treasuries at the bottom. A ten year was what point five six percent, right? Absolutely. And then whoops, pull the rug out. Now they're at five percent, and they Absolutely. have you know a, a run on the on the assets there. And and of course they're going to be what their their long term treasury holdings are down what thirty percent, fifty to sixty percent depends 50, on which, 50, yeah. 50, 
oh my god you can't you can't survive that but the fed created the situation of course they did in both scenarios of course right? they did of course they did yeah and it's it's just it's it's gross monetary mismanagement but and and it's and it's monetary mismanagement to benefit the people in the system i mean you know all of the banks in 08 should have failed i mean they should have you know, I mean, I remember very clearly Paulson was on his knees begging to Nancy Pelosi saying, if you don't give us TARP, we, you know, the ATMs won't work tomorrow morning. And what Nancy should have said is martial law. He said, yeah, you're right. Right. And what she should have said is fine. Here's TARP. And I want you and your entire board of directors and, and anyone who accepts this TARP money, the senior management and board of directors, I want all your resignation letters on my desk in the morning. And I'm going to go to the Midwest. I'm going to get a bunch of conservative Midwestern or South or wherever. I'm going to get a bunch of small town bankers and I'm going to put them in charge of Chase and Goldman Sachs and all these big companies. We're, uh, yeah. We're, and we're going to, and we're going to, and we're going to rebuild this thing. Right. That's what he should have said. But what he, what they said is, yeah, here's your money. And a year later they were paying record bonuses and, you know, they all became billionaires. It's, yep. it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So, um, I mean, again, the 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 positive this for me is that I actually this is weird of me. Um, I'm a very patient investor. I actually like being able to buy things on the cheap. Right. Absolutely. And I they've they've been playing their little shenanigans and they ring the silver cash register and they bang gold down. To me, that just gives me a, a more time to get it at a better price. Maybe I'm deluding myself. But but to me, it's just simple. Fu- I think fundamentals come back, you know, absolutely. Back in the day when I started financial analysis and I did it for a period of time, you began with a financial report. You began to do sort of forensic things. You get to look at things like accounts receivable and cash flows and all this stuff. Nobody does that anymore, right? But I think I think that's coming back into favor. But the oh, fundamentals on commodities right now is just like it's the most brain dead simple thing ever. It's like fifth grade math, like supply, demand, subtract the two. Uh-oh, you know? Price is going a lot higher. Yeah, no. No, yeah. I mean, this This is an amazing, in my view, this is an amazing opportunity for people who are willing to think outside of the box. And um, because, you know, the average Wall Street firm right now, I mean, it's I think 70% of Wall Street has less than 1% um, of, of their capital in, in, in gold. And uh, I mean, these people just, they don't see it. And yet it's staring them right in the face that mm-hmm. the monetary system is broken and that the debasement is accelerating as we speak. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, I think we're going to have a gold and silver stock mania in the next five to 10 years. I mean, I think people are going to be, you know, and of course, at that point in time, I might be selling some of my stuff, but I, I think you're going to, you know, hey, did you buy, you know, did you buy Newmont? Did you buy Barry? I mean, the kind of, the kind of, you know, talk that occurred in the last 20 years about NVIDIA and Apple and Microsoft and the fangs and all that stuff. I think that's going to be, you know, you're going to see commodities companies are going to have that kind of a buzz about them because they're going to go up just consistently. If this decade mm-hmm. looks like the 70s, if you look at the 70s, the two top performing, which was a decade of inflation, really. And it's because we went off the gold standard in 71. If you look at the if you look at that time period, the two top performing asset classes were gold stocks and oil stocks. And they compounded, Chris, 10 years, compounded at 34 percent a year, both mm-hmm. categories. 34% a year compounded. I mean, wow. it was insane. It was absolutely. And I, I think that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at an inflationary decade like the 70s. And these things are going to just rip. And so, you know, I've obviously got all my eggs in this basket. I can't legally give investment advice, but I, you know, people can draw their own conclusion. I think to, to have zero eggs in this basket is kind of crazy because it's mm-hmm. to me, it's a, it's kind of a no brainer proposition that they will print the money and this inflation will occur. And these are the two asset, this is the asset category that will benefit the most from that inflation. So, well, I agree. Um, so let me take the the devil's advocate side, at least in sure. the near term, which is that Jerome Powell's kind of the first Fed chair. Listen, I, I deplore what he did in terms of doubling the balance sheet from four to nine trillion, you know, yeah. uh, during COVID. That was that was dumb, Jerome. But now he looks haggard. He looks like he's aged about 10 years in the last one. Yeah. And I think he's I I'm starting to believe that he is going to keep rates high until something breaks. Do you right. believe him? And if so, what would have to break for him to pivot? Yeah, that's a, th- those are great questions. 
yeah, is I don't particularly like the guy, but I don't think he's as evil as Bernanke. I think Bernanke was really evil. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think Powell actually, in his heart of hearts, is trying to do the right thing. I don't think he really knows what the right thing is. I'm with you. He he printed too much, then he tightened too late. He's done a lot of things wrong, but I think he really believes what he says. I don't think he's actually a total bullshit artist. He he wants to stay higher for longer if he can. Okay. The breaking is the issue. And we know for a fact that the third mandate is continuous financial markets and, and continuous mm-hmm. and functioning financial markets. And things are creaking and breaking. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank, that was kind of a break. You know, the recent 30-year auction where you had a six-bit tail, that was kind of a break. I mean, mm-hmm. things are things are not going great. Um, my suspicion is they're going to hang on absolutely as long as they can. But you can see them already starting to plant the seeds of the pivot with the maybe 3% is the right target, not two. And maybe the market, you know, 10 Fed governors came out and said, you know, the market's done its work for us. We're, we're, you know, we're starting to see a slowdown. And my suspicion is, Chris, he will hang on longer probably than he should and, and longer than many people expect. But the market will front run him. The gold market will front run him and will blow through the 20, 2100 level. And it, on top of that, eventually something really big will break that, you know, I mean, it'll, it'll become, you know, increasingly obvious that we've got a serious economic downturn going on. We'll see banks failing. We'll see massive layoffs. We'll see a big declining stock market. We'll see some really serious problems. And at that point in time, I, I think he's a political creature. And, you know, my sense is he will, he will pivot, you know, I mean, recall, this is a guy who told us, that inflation was transitory. And then I'm not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. And then mm-hmm. four months later, started the most aggressive rate raising campaign ever, absolutely ever. So this is not a guy who's before, you know, and, and this is a guy who was tightening and said the balance sheet, you know, it's going to be watching paint dry, right? And then we had a repo blowout and bang, he did a complete 180. So as much as I think he's trying and as much as I think he's going, he's bluffing and he will hang on as long as he possibly can, I think there will come a break point. And I don't mm-hmm. think there's no way in my mind that break point is less than a year or is, is over a year away. I think it's, yeah. it's I think it could be months, maybe it's a quarter, maybe it's two quarters, but I think by next year we're in it. Things looking really bad. And he's gonna just nicely, he's gonna figure out a way to re- rewrite the narrative. Remember, they, you know, they get to write the narrative any way they want. You know, he'll say, hey, you know, we didn't get the inflation exactly where we wanted to be, but we thought we were substantially done and we think the trends are good. So we're, you know, we're good, right? We're good. And we'll just stop this QT. Oh, and by the way, we're going to create this BTFP2. You know, and by the way, that, that'll be interesting to see. That that was supposed to be a one-year program. It'll come up for renewal in March of next year. Now, I'm here to what, tell you. What's this program? What was BTFP, this one again? The bank term funding yep. program. Remember they did that when they bailed out Silicon Valley Bank. That was yeah. a one-year swap line with all those banks. And they're supposed yeah. to be unwound in a year. So in March of 2024, those banks are supposed to pay back that money, but they don't have it. They can't. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know they'll extend it and they'll kick the can there. And and so, you know, the, the it, look, it'll be incremental you, steps what? until there's a big break and then it'll be all at once. And he'll just, he'll go crazy. He'll take rates to zero. He'll reinstate QE. They'll do yield curve control, all of it. They'll have to, they don't have a choice. So, so I have to ask you then, that's great. I forgot about that, the BTFD, but um, remember, so Janet Yellen just came out like a couple months ago, treasury department said, oh, we don't like the volatility in our cash balances at the treasury. I'm like, what volatility? Cash comes in and it drains out like a pool with a hole in the bottom. Right. So what they were going to do was they were going to have the treasury step back in and buy treasuries off the market. And I was thinking, okay, this has to be a backdoor bailout, right? Which is like yeah. the Fed, the treasury will go in and call out bonds that, that are at 0.5% 10 years. They'll buy them back probably at par, if I had to guess. Yes. You know? And, yeah. well, and they, then- they've, they've already announced that. They've said, they've said, we don't like the way some of these longer dated off the run issuances trade, which is, of course, they don't trade because they trade much lower than what they were issued at. And she said, well, you know, we might, we we could enter the market. We could see, our, I mean, this is kind of yield curve control. We could see ourselves yeah. entering the market to buy some of these in the future. And so they're, you know, look, they're giving us clues. They're they're yeah. giving us clues, Chris. It's coming, okay? Yeah. You know, when, what form, how much, you know, eh, eh, all to be debated. But 
back to the chart that I showed at the beginning of the show, you know, they've got to grow the money base or the whole thing collapses. It just doesn't mm -hmm. work mathematically otherwise. And so yep. again, very few things in investment are high probability, super high probability. But in my view, monetary debasement in a system set up the way we've got it is. There is an alternative, by the way. I, I should point this out. What's the risk? How am I wrong? I'm wrong. And you'll laugh at this. Everyone does when I tell them this. But people look at investing in my fund and I say, hey, I got to tell you, the, the I'll tell you the devil's advocate bear case. The bear case is government gets incredibly responsible. You know what? We're not going to be an empire anymore. We're going to close half of these bases. We're going to we're going to means test Social Security. We're going to means test Medicare. We're going to chop your Medicare benefits. We're going to raise the retirement age. We're going to cut a spending across the board in the federal government. And we're going to balance the budget. OK, if that happens, if all of it, which I think should happen, it would be a great course for this country. But if all of those things were to happen, what I'm talking about won't work. My, my mm -hmm. thesis will be badly damaged. But generally, when I outline that as a possibility, the response I get is 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 kind of you know raucous laughter. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you really think there's any chance the government's going to do that? I mean, you know, it's just it's just not looking good, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, so so I I have a very exciting uh, announcement here, which is uh, we're just about to announce today. We have a um a webinar series that that we're producing at Peak Prosperity, and oh, and great. it's about um it's a three part series. First, we explore why why are they doing this like like who's in charge here like is, is it the wf the davos crowd soros and his billionaire pals and gates and all that but the why right and to do that really effectively we're going to red team blue team this lawrence you're going to love this this so so i'm going to play the role of the wf and we also have brett weinstein we got peter st Ange, we got ed dowd and so That's two of us guy. are taking red team and two are taking blue team and we're just going to fully explore like why they're why they're doing this i think i understand why they're the great reset like once you understand the actual debt to income chart you just again it's pretty obvious this thing has to be reset but what does that yeah. look like you know and i just think people need to get their minds around the idea that when resets like this have to come along and they do from time to time the power elites never want them to be the ones to take the losses they want right. you to be the one so that's yeah, the exactly. game right and then part two is like well what are the tactics they're using and strategies to to get what they want and it's easy they're using fifth generational warfare they're using divide and conquer they're getting people all spun up with their media pals around gender issues and other completely meaningless but very well engaging they're, they're, gas, they're gaslighting us gaslighting us all of that <laughs> stuff right and then number three is is well then what do you do about that and how do you protect yourself because i think people need to know this does get dark before it gets better there's really no chance i can see at this point short of that fantasy scenario you said where you know, <laughs> right. the government <laughs> gets responsible yeah. out and flies right it's possible but not likely so we got to play the odds here i think the yeah. odds say you know we're going to carry on on this path until something really really breaks and somehow we get rid of these cretins and we get responsible people those midwestern and southern bankers you were mentioning until we can get that done i i think we have to be individually ready so i just wanted to announce that because i'm super excited i'm happy to participate and i'm happy to uh you know it'll be fun to watch that because i think it it needs to be done i mean and and the reset you know there's you know there's a way out of all this and i do i do believe i mean i've got kids and i'm optimistic i'm not you know people say hey you're a doomer and i'm not a doomer mm -hmm. i'm just i'm you know this is like being a weatherman I, you know i can see that there's a big hurricane coming and you know, I've got the tools to forecast it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, hey, the weather's going to be great, you know, when you got this hurricane coming. But guess what? The hurricane will pass. We will get this whole thing fixed. We will get it reset. And I think yeah. if we go back to a sound money standard, history has shown every time company, countries did have these kind of problems and they reset it in the right way, things got enormously better, enormously mm -hmm. better. So, so there's an optimistic outcome here, Chris, but there's probably, in my view, a five to 10 year window of, of you know, storm uh hopefully hopefully on the shorter end of that the faster they figure it out and fix it the shorter it could be um but you know as you know our political class is not exactly the smartest group in the world so um no no and, and i feel it's it's my sacred duty and, and yours too and everybody like listen if we don't if we don't man up because we're a couple men here if we don't man up or woman up if they're women listening if we don't get this right and we let them just sort of do what they do they're going to screw the pooch really bad. And I'm worried, Lawrence, they're going to get us into a war with China thinking, oh, well, wars are roughly stimulative. Like, no, not when there's hypersonic missiles involved and you're up against a, a foe that could actually shoot back. 
that's a totally different character from what we've been up to for the past. Completely agree. I mean, good people have got to stand up and advocate for doing the right things. I mean, it's fourth turnings have shown that. Do you know what I mean? If if you're not, I mean, it's 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 going to be tough. Um, but then that's why that's why I do what I do because I, I care about my kids, my you know someday grandkids. I hope yeah. so. Yep. Uh, you know. Yeah. No. If you want to leave behind a world worth inheriting now's the time because um yeah you know, exactly exactly yeah yeah so so with that um well thank you so much for your time today we got it we got it lit. we're going to do this more frequently that was a great i'm happy to do it anytime chris i always enjoy talking to you you're you're a great host so uh um, well great um thank you lawrence where, where do people find you and, and follow yeah you so as, uh, as you know I, i'm a big mouth on twitter i i generally just rant and rave against the central banks because i think they've really ruined our world uh just my name lawrence lapart at lawrence lapart it's easy to find a lot of fakes make sure you get the real one i've got 150,000 followers. Uh, you go to my website, www.ema2.com. That has the newsletters I was talking about. They're free. They just talk about macro events. Um, little shameless plug. I do run a fund uh, because of the SEC rules. The minimum is 100K per account. We don't always have openings. We do have some now. Some people have given up on the gold thesis, so we got a few openings. So if you want to join the fund, you can reach out, and I'll tell you about that. Well, fantastic. And um uh, that's really great. And if anybody wants to find out more about uh, the webinar that's coming up, of course, go to peakprosperity.com. We have all the events announced there. And if you want your money managed more effectively and uh, maybe the EMA is not quite the right fit, remember peak financial investing. We got people who can speak this language, talk to you about these things and not gaslight you. You deserve to have your money managed by somebody who shares your concerns and sees the world the same way. So with that, Lawrence, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Chris. Until next time. Okay. <laughs>